This uh, conversation here is the Relationship Driven Growth open mic session after the Terry Weaver show where we talked about how to be a better public speaker, how to land public speaking uh, gigs, right? Terry is this event organizer. We talked a lot about entrepreneurship in the in the first part of it, the interview side of it. But this was really all about like how to land on stages and, and get opportunities like that. I thought it was super valuable to have a guy that organizes multiple events and hire speakers in the house to give us some advice on that. Uh, also, the open mic sessions are uh, going to go away for a little while. And this show is going to take a little hiatus because I am launching something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I want to put some thought behind it, some effort behind it. So I'm going to put this on pause. As you know, I'm obsessed with category design. I got the opportunity to launch a um, podcast and community that is going to make category design much more approachable. This idea that you can be a category thinker. And we've um, got some of the best minds in the world on category design that are behind this. There's going to be a podcast. There's going to be a community the wait list is open right now. We've got a group of about super impressive 30 ambassadors in right now, but we're going to open it to the public. It's going to be free. It's a Slack channel and a, and a podcast and all this good stuff. So if you want to join that wait list, go to categorythinkers.com. Stay tuned for uh, you know future episodes here. It's going to change format a little bit. If you want to reach out to me, go ahead and uh, hit me up on LinkedIn or... Uh, you know, however, it's easy to find me. But for right now, enjoy this conversation from the open mic session with uh, Terry Weaver. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. I tune in and out of Gary Vee, right? Like I, I definitely from 
2017 to probably 2021, I listened every single day to Gary Vee's podcast. I deconstructed everything he did. My, my content style and everything that I do is very, very similar to the, even to the point of just like having a keynote that's like 15 to 20 minute rant and then going in a Q&A because of the way that you can repurpose things to then outsource context and continue to evolve your message. But I recently was listening to one of his his most recent keynotes because he's kind of like back on the road now and he's talking about the current state of social media and marketing and these things. And he told a story that I knew, but I didn't know the depths of it. And it's how he got to invest in Facebook and Twitter really, really early on. And, and basically what he said was when he was making the wine content back in the day, that's how he started. At one point he decided, you know, I want to make some business content. And one of the pieces of a video that he made was a video about how Facebook should be afraid of Twitter, right? Like the Twitter was the first threat to Facebook because Twitter was mobile first. And at the at the time, Facebook was desktop first. And he knew that the you know emotional intelligence graph of, a, of, of the human being was going to go through phone first. And making that video led to him getting invited to speak at Facebook about emotional intelligence and these things that he's seen. And it was after that talk that he went out to dinner with Zuckerberg and started a relationship with Zucks. And at some point when Zucks's parents wanted to sell their stock early on, pre-IPO, Zuck knew that Gary was somebody that was super into the company. He maybe had some money or like wanted to invest. And he was the first call that he made. And that's why Gary got to buy in on Facebook early on. And I would even go as far as from understanding the way that his business works and all these other things. I would I would assume that yes, Gary can play in the dirt all day long, but the the financial stability that came from his being able to like really really build his his business out long term because I think he runs VaynerMedia almost at a break even while monetizing speaking fees and personal brand stuff, but that wealth that he was able to create on those IPOs was a big big game changer for him. And what's interesting is that the reason that he got that opportunity, the reason he got into that room, the reason he got it was by making content about something that he believed in, right? So when he was telling the story, the moral of the story was that there's a lot of ways to get into the room that you want to get into, but the fastest way to get into a room is to talk about the room you want to get into and post it on the internet. Like that was his quote on the podcast that that we were, that, that I was listening to. And I found that really, really interesting, right? Like this idea that we all think about where am I an expert? What can I talk about? But often just talking about the thing that you are trying to understand and making content and putting it out there is this systematic way to open yourself up to black swans. It is the networking on steroids that can open up the door to whatever room you're trying to get into. If you can bring up a nuanced question about a subject that you may not be an expert to, but that may may make that expert look at it from a different perspective. You don't know what opportunities can come out. And that's really been you know, a lot of, a lot of the success that I've had, I talk about this call that I took with this gentleman a week ago that I published on my podcast, him asking me about how to create content and marketing and like startup marketing. I parachuted into marketing, right? Like I, I wasn't, I haven't started calling myself a marketer more than like a year and a half ago, but it was really just making content, sharing it on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram about how relationship building and content creation come together to create this like thing and how community is the future of business development and identifying it in different softwares and in different big companies and the small companies. That's been the reason why I get invited to speak at a bunch of different places, whether or not 
I've, you know, I've spoken at Silicon Valley without ever having been in the tech world in any way. So I just think that that is a, a really good kind of like jump off point to what Terry was talking about as far as if you want to get known, this idea of how you harness attention can begin by putting the piece of content out there about the thing that you're thinking about just as a feedback mechanism to the world. Yeah. And my, and my journey kind of went from, uh, was on staff at a church and then I kind of started traveling around the country. And then I really got into doing school assemblies. And if, you know, if you really want to know how I learned to be a good communicator was I talked to middle schoolers, you know, and that'll do it for you because they're honest. And, you know, most of the time at school assemblies, we, we weren't always in the, you know, we weren't, we weren't always in the suburbs. We were often in, you know, with a bunch of kids that would be considered air quotes at risk, you know, and, and kind of through that process. And at the same time, I was working in the music business. That was kind of my side hustle was managing artists. And we owned a booking agency because that's how I got gigs was I had someone that worked for me that helped get me opportunities. And so we, it just, it, they kind of evolved and they evolved honestly by, by presence, dude. You know, you mentioned, you know, you know, they say, just show up, right? Like just say yes. And it's, you know, it sounds so cliche. It's like, how did Gary V end up with Zucks? Well, he said he wanted to talk about something. And then Zucks called and he went there, right? And that seems so like, was it that it? You know, and, and there's obviously some nuance to it. But at the end of the day, you know, he just showed up. Now, as far as content creation, dude, I still kick and scream with that, man. I, you know, I hated Instagram for the longest time. Because Instagram was a cul-de-sac where you couldn't link out of it for the longest time. And I, you know, what I love is helping people and wherever, wherever people are assembling, I want to be there. And, you know, podcasts have kind of made this shift where from, I love the audio side of it. I hate the, oh man, I, I was the Zoom thing we're doing here. I hated that part of the pandemic. I was like, what happened to the time where we just could throw a hat on and get on a phone call? Now we got to like get dressed and take a shower to like be on a Zoom call, at least from the waist up. Right. And and. You know, I think I think what what that transition to like. And I still kind of struggle with content creation, dude, because it's it's a lot of work, but I also I also have just I, I also create content out of what I'm learning. Like you and I talked about the Taylor Swift thing I posted about. I had friends at Taylor Swift last night that were getting rained on. And, you know, I was up and I was working on some other stuff. So I was like, I'm going to create a little piece of content about this. Because I'm always looking as 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 a communicator. I'm always looking for what can I learn for what's happening around me. And as someone who wants to help other people, if I learn it, I feel like you might be able to learn something too. If Taylor Swift's platform can be a can be something we kind of come together on, whether you like her or not, but just to respect something about her, then I'm going to use that as a tool to tell a story. I love that, man. I, I'm the same way, right? Like I'm always, so much of my content creation game really just mirrors what I was trying to do in hand-to-hand networking with people of just like, oh, I knew that, Otto Forrester was an insurance broker and he happened to get along by figuring out, like asking people what their business model is all about 
so that next time he talked to somebody in a business, he'd be like, tell me about how you approach this and make him interesting, right? Like just like being able to like recognize a context and bring it into another context. And that I'm the same way, right? Like I'm right when I'm sharing this, this Gary V point, I have a, a Apple notes document here next to me, next to my screen, where I just have anytime I see something in a context that I think I can verbalize and and bring into the conversation, literally just wrote about heat culture, right? When you and I were, were talking about basketball and the business of sports and bring up a speaking point, that's the thing that prompts me uh, to bring it up. And I know that we have a couple of great content creators here with us right now, like JD, Venia, you both, you both are content creators at very high level. I wonder what is your what is your process for ideation and coming up with stuff? JD, I saw you muted, right? Like how do you how do you kind of digest it and start and start to put it together for for LinkedIn, which I know is your platform? Hey, just saying hi first. Nice to meet you, Terry. I was kind of involved in some stuff. I, I couldn't I couldn't make the actual program, but love the topic. You know, I'm just in constant content creation mode. I'm you know, there are a lot of people that that kind of claim to be creative. In fact, it's probably the most overused word on resumes. I'm dynamic and creative. Well, you know, I'm dynamic and creative all day long and always, always creating, always figuring out where an idea goes. And sometimes the ideas come faster than I can contain them. So idea capture is a challenge for me and organization and prioritization and triaging the best of the best ideas for inclusion either in a newsletter or a video or a newsletter with a video. So I'm I, I'm really just constantly ideating with let me answer I, your question the capture question for you. Yeah. The capture is the most important part of the process. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And I personally I think there are two methods. You can either go analog you can go moleskin, where you always have a moleskin notebook that you're always kind of writing things on. Personally, I use Ever, I use, I use Evernote, and if I have an idea about anything, and it's normally the first thing I do when I get out of the shower, it's normally the first thing I do when I come back in from walking my dogs, is I try to write down any ideas I have, whether it's I, for content creation, you can dictate it, yeah. And it's, John Acuff actually kind of led me onto this method. You always want to leave yourself breadcrumbs back to the idea. Think of Little Red Robin in the in the in the forest with their picnic basket. Is you want to leave yourself enough two or three things to get back to the idea. And for me, you know, writing this book, you know, writing a book is ma- the hardest thing you'll ever do if you ever do it in your life. Especially if you if you're still trying to write a book without without Chat GBT, which I am. But the first time you write, you you tend to believe that you gotta go sit down and like get a cave and you know, you know. But now I know that like most of my book was written because I I had ideas, I captured them, and then when I went, when I sat down to write, I just harvested my breadcrumbs. I just went back to get back to the picnic basket that I left myself somewhere. Hmm. And so the biggest mistake you most people have with ideas isn't that they don't have ideas. It's that they didn't capture them. They didn't cage them. And then they didn't go back and do anything with them. And you have to kind of go back and, and look at those ideas and say, what can, and then start to kind of organize them and start to like, because if not, you'll just have documents on it. I normally make a, 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 
I try to go back and then I start throwing them in the notebooks in Evernote. So I can go and say, oh, this is a piece of video. This is a this is a real, this is something in a book. And Karen Anderson, one of our thing speakers, she's a publisher from Morgan James. She says when writing that if you just wrote to a person, if you wrote to dear Dorothy, and Dorothy can be a real person or it can be like your your your, your avatar. But if you would create content for a person, it'll change your life. And so if you're trying to make video, don't try to talk to the world. Try to talk to one or two people who you know that needs what you have to, like, I may go tonight and, you know, camera up, talk to camera, create content for one of you guys because of something you said. And I'm going to talk to you. I'm not going to mention your name, but in my head, I'm doing this for you. And, you know. Andy Stanley has this great quote that says, you know, do for every, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You know, you may not be able to help everyone, but if you just help one, you know, and I, and I, and I apply that principle. It's one of the guiding principles of my life. Um, you know, when somebody's like, wants to pick my brain, you know, most of the time the answer is no, I'm, I'm a coach, I'm a businessman, but, but when I can, I do say yes. It's obviously much better if it's in a forum like this. Because then it's useful to more people. I hope you don't mind if, because I was called out, but I I would kind of like to add to that if possible. Please. In anthropology, especially, one of the big issues that we have in social science is that we are inundated with information. Every single day we go into a culture, we are doing something called deep description, which is this notion of saying, here's what I'm doing. Here's the feedback I'm getting. Here's how people are interacting. Here's what I think is a hypothesis. Here's what the data says. Here's what the information shows. Here's an action that someone took. And it keeps on going over and over and over again. And this deep description concept is people back in like 1920, we're like, we have to be scientific about it. Bias is a problem. But the reality is in social science, you're never going to get past bias. So the only answer that the scientific industry had was to say, all right, we'll lean into it. We expect in your method statements, in your articles, for you to explain very critically how you went about studying and understanding this community, this culture. So it wasn't, I'm going to throw out all of this extra information that doesn't matter because that information now matters. In the lack of that information, you have no idea how a person is really approaching their research site. So from 1920, We had this exorbitant, huge amount of content that we had to sort through, understand, catalog, categorize, and then code. We had to thematize all of it. How exactly did we deal with that? We used a deep description and journaling processes on a daily basis for us to understand how we collect, capture, and then analyze that information systemically. If this sounds familiar, this is the exact problem that our content creators in a world of abundance on YouTube and every social platform currently have. So the solution that we have for this is one, that deep description aspect, getting used to the idea of writing things down when it is not advantageous for you to do so in the moment. Even if it will pull you away from something, write it down, right? Get that idea out of your head. 
and make sure that it comes with small little bits of context. This is what bullet journaling is really, really good for. But then there's this other half, right? It's not enough for you to have an idea, write it down, capture it, and then put it in because eventually your little brain is going to get tired. It's not going to want to do the thing. It's not going to want to journal information. So you need something called an information diet. And this is an environmental structure that you put around yourself. An information diet is like a grocery store where that grocery store has this like feedback of a whole bunch of different pieces of content. You have newsletters from Pablo and newsletters from CMX and Jono and all of these experts who are sending you that information. You have a marketplace and you're like, do I want to eat my cake? Let's read the category pilots email. Let's read Morning Brew. Or do I want my vegetables? Let's listen to the International Institution for Public Relations. By creating this information diet, this market of ideas, you now have an automatic income of those ideas for you to regularly capture and tag in order for you to keep the idea train running, regardless of whether or not your brain wants to do it or not. When your brain gets tired, your environment needs to continue to throw those ideas at you. The community scientist has spoken. I feel like I say that after every time that you speak on this thing. Because <laughs> it's always like this like super heady anthropological scientific exploitation of everything that we're trying to describe. That's awesome, Benny. That's really good, man. I really appreciate that. Any advice on book marketing, Terry? It's the same advice that I give you at anything you do in business. It's the long game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the problem is most people are playing, especially traditional publishers, they're playing the game for 10 days on the bestseller list or Amazon list cycle. And, you know, my mistake was, is I wrote the wrong book. You know, I wrote a book called Making Elephants Fly. It's a great title, right? Covers beautiful done by two Disney artists, actually. The problem was, is I I had a goal of getting corporate stages. And this is a book telling you to go quit your job. But it's the book I had to write. And I think ideas are also like log jams. They're like a log flume. You know, have you ever seen like the, the logs when they go down the river in Alaska or whatever? Is you kind of can't write. that. I had to write that book. Like it had to get out of me. And now that, I'm kind of past that I'm moving on to the next phases and I'm being very strategic from a marketing perspective about what it is that I am doing now and and kind of preparing. I'm creating with intention and I'm, you know, you know, they say, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing. I kind of wrote a book with knowing that I only needed to check the box of writing a book. And that's a huge you're in the 1% if you do that. But yeah. It's kind of like what marketing, you said about man. The, the, the core of book marketing is is it's a long, it's a long process. And you're gonna really get discouraged if you're trying to win a a small a, a short game. And I think it's I think a book, you know, I've, I've heard the phrase, you know, a book, a book is a business card. I would argue that a book is a key. A book is a key that will unlock doors and relationships and opportunities. And oddly, in some ways, the book is kind of replacing education to, this is really controversial. I've never said this publicly, but here we go. You know, college degrees are quickly becoming about as useful as toilet paper 
that they're very easily replaceable. They might as well be in a, in a lot of fields. Now, if you're trying to be a scientist, if you're trying to be a doctor, a lawyer, a, a, a but for the most part, you know, I have a lot of friends that went and got degrees and things like musical theater. And, you know, you know, it's like, you're not using that degree ever. Congratulations. And, 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 and it wasn't a big deal when a college degree was 25 to $45,000, you know, you know, I meet kids all the time. I meet kids all the time that are $300,000 in debt, you know, and, you know, they're never going to, they're, they're, they're going to, they're going to take that money from their social security payments if that's still around. But I think in a lot of ways, it, a book is becoming, people are looking at a book in the entrepreneur space, especially as like, oh, they did that. They proved, they proved they could complete a task. You know, the next level is writing the right book for the right market and getting the right attention. And, and I kind of do, they, they are addicting. So don't, don't start doing it in, unless you want to have, it's kind of like, don't start having ideas if you don't want to have more of them. Because, you know, I have so many ideas for book projects right now that it's not even funny. Terry, I'd love to ask you, so given given the the room here right now, right? Like Pratiti just had her first paid speaking gig. JD and I just got back from Louisville where he was speaking at a conference. Michael was just on a call for a speaking gig as well. You know, like Vinny and I shared a stage together at, at CMX last year. So we're all we're all speakers in this room. And I think you have a ton of experience in it as a professional, as an event organizer. What questions should I be asking you, I guess? <laughs> no. So so what what advice do you have to give to- um, First of all, there's a yeah. huge, I think we all, and dude, there's a lot of, char, speaking of charlatans, yeah, there are more charlatans, and I could give you names, going after people's wallets who want to be speakers and authors. Hmm. Because I'll get you stages. You know, there's there's a company that does that. It's like, no, you're going to get me on podcast interviews. That I love this. It's a platform, but this is not a stage. You know, and but there are definitely two speaking industries, in my opinion. There's the corporate, you know, where you go and IBM calls you and says, "Hey, man, come and speak to our sales team about limiting yeah. beliefs and making elephants fly." And I can do that all day long. They pay me money. A lot of times it's tied with with motivation and maybe some consulting. In fact, I, we're, we're kind of writing a new product or, or, or we're kind of re, re, re kind of remolding a product that we do called the Toy Box Project, where we teach corporate teams to play together and to ideate together. And we do it through literally giving everyone their own t- box of toys and figuring out what it is that they can actually deploy as their creative way. The second is kind of this entrepreneur space that many of us live in where, where there's often not an exchange of money for speaking. There's an exchange of platform. There's an exchange exchange of opportunity. And I know people are like, I can't pay my mortgage payment, but you know, paid to burst your bubble. I'm not getting paid to be here today. But in the end, I believe I will get paid in spades because it'll connect me with the right people and the right people will or be attracted to me and opportunities will come up and they, they may actually be paid opportunities for speaking even. But I think there's definitely a, 
you know, I speak at Justin's event, for example, Pablo, and he speaks at my event. Yep. Uh, you know, there's typically not, neither one of us really pitch from each other's stages even. Mm-hmm. We're playing a much longer game. And so you have to kind of be aware of, of kind of the mucky waters that you're diving into. And you have to kind of ask yourself, like, what do I want to gain by being on a stage? And there, you know, there are all kinds of paths to get there. The best path is to be known, right? Obviously, to be known as the expert in blank. And kind of like what you guys did at a trade show, you literally, you literally kind of hacked a room full of people and proved that like, oh, a podcast is a meaningful way to start a conversation. I can tell you we do podcasts, but why don't I just show you? It goes back to that that Yoda piece that we had the very conversation of bidding over conversation. Hmm. I'm not going to just show you. I'm not just going to tell you it's possible. I'm going to show you how it's possible. So if, if anybody am- has really specific things, I'd be happy to answer them. Yeah, I started off super non-specific, just just on purpose. There, I, I like it though, man. So you know, it kind of if at the end of the day, right? Like, I think a lot of a lot of what we're talking about here today, even during the show, is just this idea of like being intentful, like seeing, having a vision for something and then chasing that vision as opposed to just like being scatterbrained all over the place. And that, that speaks a lot into what you said about the book, what you said about speaking and and, and what you're going to do. Right. And, and, and a couple of different things. It's clarity on the vision, but also on the back end of that is open. Yeah. Being open to what might be possible. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all kind of tend to want to come in with like, here's our media kit and here's our, you know, seven talks. And it's like, you know, I have a couple of keynotes that I do, mm-hmm. but 90% of the time, and this this goes against, you know, conventional wisdom, but I want to be accustomed to the, I want to speak to the people in the room. Yeah. I don't want to speak. I don't want to show up with my agenda. I want to meet the person bringing me in's agenda. Now, if my best home run talk can do that, I've got a few of those. I'm happy to do it. But even then, I'm going to tweak it for the specific people in the room. Do you have a framework for the way that you put together presentations? I'm actually, that's one of the things that we're actually working on. One of the things I'm going to do on stage in Nashville is one of my coaching clients has asked me to help her write a talk. Mm. So I was like, I'll do it for you. She runs a nonprofit for for women that have, have been victims of sexual abuse. So I know she can't afford to hire me anymore than she's already paying me to be in my mastermind. I was like, I'll do it on stage. So in Nashville, I'm gonna we're going to pull her on stage and we're going to write a talk kind of using this new framework that I'm just kind of, I'm putting the finishing touches on right now. Smart. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, I've got, I'm curious, I'm curious if JD, I know that you're, you know, like you, you've done a lot of corporate speaking and you just did your, your, your Louisville one. Do you have like a go-to framework that you use? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously about to go share my framework right now, but like, I I wonder if, do you have one or do you just do everything bespoke or what? For putting together the talk for the event? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, I wouldn't say that I have a template for each Mm -hmm. talk because everything's changing and I'm highly improvisational. So one of my gifts, call it a superpower, is my ability to speak extemporaneously and literally connect and teach on the fly. So I, I, I'd like to thank my nervous system and my brain and my frontal lobe for that ability because it really does play into what I do. So I give the organizer a, a bespoke 
overview, a comprehensive overview with the learning outcomes, the talking points, what I'm going to be speaking about and everything kind of umbrellas under that. So if I'm speaking for a a specific industry like I did last week in Louisville, I don't want to appear like I've I've tried too hard to kind of put myself into into their vocabulary. I I want to make sure that I have just enough of that where I kind of you know, I'm I'm not an industry insider, but I'm coming at them with specialized knowledge that will help them make an impact in their industry because what I do is eminently transferable across any industry market or vertical. So it's just a question of literally how I'm feeling that day. I was at day two of the conference, which means that I could bring in some observational experience from what went on in front of me for for 24 hours before I had the chance to speak and and not just come at people like I'm doing a brain dump, but really giving them an experiential takeaway of a guy that's been in the moment from the time he got into town, talking with people, getting a feel for their industry and speaking, really, really speaking with them and not to them. That's great. That's great. I think that our brain works relatively similarly in, in that regard, right? Like I love, I love to improvise as well. What I have found is that if I'm, if I don't put it in some kind of framework, then I'm I'm too prone to showing up without knowing what the end in mind is going to be, right? Like knowing where I want them to land. So I've been the last couple of times that I've that I've given talks, I've kind of put together all of my storytelling frameworks and content creation frameworks into like a that a master framework, which I don't know if I think a couple of you were here when I presented this on the show, but I essentially try to I try to speak to the person in the room. I try to start with the the character and the context and and build buy-in into this idea that I understand kind of like what the world looks like right now and then insert a problem of like what they're trying to achieve which then I'll follow up with and here's the big idea or whatever and I'm always trying to put like names on things and then I try to you know it's I try to follow the talk like Ted book framework of just kind of going down three different storytelling lanes. And I'm always thinking of how do I get them from like this a big idea to a what, so what, now what kind of concept yeah. of just like, here's a here's something that I put some language behind it. Here's what it is. Here's how I learned it. Here's what you need to take away from it. And next steps. And then do it again, and then do it again, and then end with like a like a like a final kind of like takeaway of this is your thing, and that was the big idea. Quick summary and go into that is generally my go-to. But I try to stay very improvisational in like I try to stay in those lanes and stay very improvisational in how I tell the story in order to contextualize it. Right, like whatever example I'm going to use. I'm going to try to make it germane to that room and in their language and whatever they're doing. I'm going to, like you do, JD, I, I try to network before, even if it's a one, if, even if it's just like I'm there, I try to get there early and I like to meet people and find out their story and what they came from and what they're trying to learn. And like, I'll ask them probing questions of like where they're trying to, you know, like what brought them here <laughs> and and whatever, so I can make it contextual to all that stuff. And that's where I try to use that improv side of it. But I find that if not, then my brain is too much like a mile a minute of just like, and and then, and I expend a whole bunch of energy. People are real entertained. And at the end of the day, they're like, well, it was, 
really fun watching a Roger Rabbit on stage there, but I didn't really learn anything. A couple of things that I do. My method I use for me personally, I kind of call it the toolbox approach. I kind of look at speaking like I'm going, I'm a blue collar worker. I grew up with my grandfather doing that. You know, like I've got my toolbox full of the tools that I know that I need to accomplish. And I kind of load the, I kind of, I kind of pack knowing what the job is that I've got to do. Mm. And I use very, I use Seth Godin's kind of method of slides where I kind of have the big movements and I have two to four words on a slide for the most part. There's nothing worse than watching people read their slides. And someone mentioned, you know, academia. I know that's kind of the, for the love of God, please don't like if, if, if I can't see it, from the last row, take it off a slide. And I remember seeing Seth one time at the Catalyst Conference in, in Dunwoody, Georgia, and he had just had pictures. And I was like, what in the heck? It was at the time when Tribe had just come out. He literally gave everybody that left the room. There was 15,000 of us there, and he gave us all a copy of the book. And then he wrote a special chapter just for that that audience, which was insane. Wow. And gave that to everybody. And he could afford to do that, obviously, or his publisher could. and. What was super, super interesting is he had just pictures on slides. I was like, what is he doing? But he literally used his slide deck as almost like an outline. And it was, and if he, he would skip over something, if he wasn't going to tell the story, you know, and an iPad or something like it, if you want to use, if you're an Android guy, gives you kind of a great way to pick slides. If you want to skip over something, because most people expect us to have slides. Mm -hmm. The one thing I do put on slides beyond my kind of main points is quotes yeah. because I try to not have notes. I use, I want the technology to be my notes because if I've got notes, a bottle of water and a clicker, I'm, I'm an arm short, you know? And so I, I now, now granted, you know, there's kind of a trend I've noticed a lot in, in a, even in our thing speakers at other conferences where people will bring their laptop up on stage it's so distracting. You know, if you've got a 17 inch MacBook Pro in front of you in the audience, it's like, put that away. Like hi- hide that thing. I don't want to see it. And so, you know, I try to let the the slides do some of the heavy lifting for me and kind of let them be springboards for for not a script. I, I'm not scripted in any way, shape, or form, if you haven't been able to figure that out already. But I try to let the let the slides be little springboards that I kind of jump off into big ideas. And if I feel like it's not landing, I can, I can move along. You know, a a talk is very much like flying on a plane. You got to take off. You got to have a lot of energy. Most people blow the takeoff. They get up on stage and they start to introduce themselves. That was somebody else's job. That's not your job. I go right into it. I want to emotionally move you. I want to tell you a story that slaps you across the face in the first 20 seconds. I want to get your attention. I want you to, I just saw you go, wow. I want you to go, wow, when you see me on stage. Because I want you to lean in. I want you to lean into me and I want us to connect. And then I want to make you laugh. I'm probably going to hopefully make you cry. I'm going to move you to hopefully action. Now, the other thing where people really blow it is the end. They over-prepare and then they don't land the plane. And so then we're just step stuck left falling out of the sky of your talk. And we find ourselves walking away going, well, that was great, but now what? 
And, you know, I think it's just super important to, you know, definitely, it definitely, you have to ask like, like, what do these people want and how can I help them get it? And how can I, you know, (laughs) kind of like a grandma thing, you know, how can I be useful today? You know, how can I be useful to these people staring at me? And, you know, and a lot of times they're kind of stuck with you for the next 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. You know, how can I make that the most redeemable time possible? How can I make them walk away going, wow, that was super helpful and super. Because then a lot of times I want them to either come up to me afterwards. I want to know what I want them to do at the end. Do I want them to go to an offer? Do I want them to click the QR code and go to discoveryourthing.com? Do I want them to, am I making an offer? Am I, am I, I'm also thinking from a sales perspective, am I make, am I making myself part of the solution to their problem? I like that. I like that, Terry. A couple of things. One is I agree with like the, the slide tactic. I completely agree, right? Like I always, I'll try to just, I, what, what my go-to bin has been is the, like I'll come up with a nickname for the name of the story, right? Like I try to language everything, like frame it, name it, and claim it. And then I'll have, I'll, I'll, and then J- JP, who's a masterful graphic designer, he's great at like iconography. So he's always really good at creating these like emoji style, like one icon thing that represents it. And I've been going with that, or I'll try to like put a GIF in there. Or I'll try to put like a screenshot from a movie that represents the story or something like that and just bounce around in those stories. But I couldn't agree more with the idea of, um, knowing the takeoff and the landing better than anything, right? Like I, one of the, one of the mistakes I, I used to make when I give my signature talk of like this, like $40 million in revenue that we created off of this community play for a company in year one was that I would save that little stat till the end, <laughs> right? Like I'd talk about like, yeah, man, I, you know, in 2020, I hosted two podcasts. One was this and one was that. And they both had kind of like similar things, but here's what we did differently. And then at the end, I'd end with like, and one made 40 million bucks and the other one made 60,000. And somebody was like, dude, you're burying the lead, right? So like starting with that piece is definitely my like aha moment. And then the other thing that I've realized is my why, right? Like my attachment to it is actually a story of like great vulnerability, which is understanding the value of community at my, you know, when my brother passed and 1200 people showed up at his funeral, right? So like that, that seems to be the the hook, right? Like the, the, here's the big shiny thing. And then like, you bring it down to like a vulnerable moment, vulnerability generally connects. And then I practice the shit out of like where I want to finish. Right. Cause I'm, cause for sure, I'm always going to like go off and like dance around and do all these different things, but knowing what the last like four or five sentences I need to get there, get to is like the one thing that I need to for sure have down or else I'm going to end it with like, all right, well, see you later. You know, that sucks. This is usually the part of the podcast when I invite you to come to the open mic sesh. But like I said, we're taking a couple, a little bit of a hiatus on it. Not sure how it's going to return, but this category thinkers community that I'm launching is going to have a similar format. It's going to have a very formalized community. It's going to be all about applying category design, which uh, honestly, it is like the superpower that I have uncovered and I'm obsessed with. If you've listened to the show at all, there's no chance you go through an episode without it. So go to CategoryThinkers.com if you want to join that thing. If not, hit me up on LinkedIn and uh, appreciate you listening.